Thank you so much for joining us for our special simulcast edition of the Big Time Talker podcast and Zoom into books with our friends from Headline Books. Burke Allen here live at our studios in Washington, D.C. And the broadcast is made service uh, made possible by our friends at speakermatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, post-pandemic, uh, the speaking world is coming back to life. If you're a, a platform speaker, maybe you speak at the local Rotary Club or maybe you speak to auditoriums full of folks. Well, you know, that didn't happen a lot during the pandemic. But now that in-person meetings are back, the virtual meeting planners at speakermatch.com can help you get together. Visit them at speakermatch.com and thank you for making the show possible. One of those speakers who uh, has been at it for quite a while, has spoken all over the country, is based in Austin, Texas. His name is Richard Battle. Richard and I are friends and and uh, co-workers and colleagues, and he's a prolific writer as well. He cranks a book out a year, which is uh, pretty impressive, and the new one we're really looking forward to. It's called Made in America by Americans, not Americans. Richard Battle joins us on the Big Time Talker podcast and Zoom into books. First of all, congratulations on the brand new book. Burke, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and uh, thank Kathy and Headline Books for publishing this book. And I'm very excited about it. There's so many things in there that are applicable now, but I think are timeless for the future as well. Let's talk about the title of the book. What do you mean by that? Made in uh, America by Americans, not Americans. Well, I, I'm a history buff. I think the United States is a very special place. I think that the last couple of years, there's been so much discouragement. And with the pandemic and the politics, people trashing the country, the rioting, the defund the police movement and everything else, there's just been so much negativity and you look back and what made our country great over time was not only our principles, but the can-do spirit and the individual spirit. People didn't wait for government or other people to do things for them. They forged out and took their own opportunities and dreams and made things happen. So give me an example of someone, uh, you know, made in America, of an American that, that you look up to. Well, a great example, I think, is the Wright brothers, uh, because they were had a bicycle repair shop in Dayton, Ohio, and they had a dream to be the first uh, airplane with power with it. They didn't had no government funding. All of their competition around the world had governments funding their operations. They were self-taught on how to build engines and the, and the wings and everything else. And they basically did it themselves and created this great invention. And then after that continued with over 60 patents. And it showed that you didn't need to have the government fund something that was so great and life-changing for everyone. Made in America by Americans, not Americans. From our guest today, Richard Battle. If you have a question or comment for Richard, be sure to send it in to us. We'd love to, to pose those questions for him. Um, the cover of the book, and, and you can see that as you scroll down on your screen, is um, it's unapologetically patriotic. 
And yes. I wonder if you were a, a patriotic guy growing up, where did that come from for you? Well, absolutely. My parents uh, instilled that into me growing up. Uh, some of the things I probably didn't appreciate the privilege I had of growing up in the United States as much as my mother tried to insert into me. Uh, but traveling around the world, it reinforced what a special place we have in this country. And to see people trash it and destroy things who have never created or built anything, to me is very frustrating. I'd rather celebrate people who've overcome adversity and succeeded and create something that benefits the entire country. And that's what we've had so many people over 200 years do for us. And that's who we need to celebrate and appreciate. Plus the everyday Americans who go out every day, uh, whether it's a somebody that is a custodian at a school or somebody that is picks up the trash cans on the street or buses, tables at a restaurant, every person that works legitimate work may not be at their career end, but are at a place in time. And we all have opportunities to pursue dreams and be better than we are today, tomorrow. And that's something I want to try to help people do. I wonder if, if in, from your vantage point, you, you see what I seem to see here, and, and I'm hypersensitive to it, I think, living in Washington, D.C., and that is that people taking just broad swipes at patriotism. And, uh, you know, not too long ago, I had an American flag tie on and somebody said, hey, you know, you probably had to cover that up now. That's it's not what it used to be. Where does that come from? Because that's a that's a seismic shift from when we were all kids and we learned to stand up and, and do the, the Pledge of Allegiance every morning in school. The world has changed an awful lot. Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's an attack on the founding principles and the founding principles and ideals were great, but humans and human nature do not perfectly execute. And so during these 200 years, we've had issues such as slavery that we had to overcome and 600,000 people died in doing that. Uh, other issues in trying to form a more perfect union. But we have to realize what we have and how great it is and not just tear down and destroy it and become another country like everyone else. Because I've been to other countries around the world and they are do not have the opportunities we have business wise or prosperity wise. They've had their souls stolen by equity type governments who want to make everybody the same. And we in the United States have to fight and defend against that because we are not the same. Uh, no one, I don't care what party they're from, can make us the same. And we're better off when we have that individual opportunity. And during our lifetime, we had presidents from both parties who would stand up and exhort people to go out and pursue their dreams. John F. Kennedy, ask not what your government or your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Ronald Reagan, who was very inspirational and motivational. We used to have those people on both sides of the aisle. Well, today we don't. We have politicians trying to tell us and outdo each other on what the government will do for us. And that path leads to a servitude, I believe, that none of us will like the results of. Our guest is Richard Battle. His uh, brand new book is Made in America, 
by Americans, not Americans. It's his first for headline books. And this is your ninth book now. Is that right? That is correct. And we're very pleased that Headline Books is publishing this volume and uh, just thrilled with the cover design they came up with and, and everything they've done in the process to bring this volume out. You can pick up the brand new book from Richard Battle at headlinebooks.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold for a, a healthy dose of Americans, not Americans. Um, you mentioned uh, where where we are with politics today and and again, living here in, in D.C., maybe I'm a little hypersensitive to it, but it sure <laughs> seems to me that um, the loudest voices on either side are that that 10 percent of really loud voices on the left and that 10 percent of really loud voices on the right. And the other 80 percent of us are just trying to provide for our families and trying to raise our kids right and, and get through uh, life day to day. Um I know from talking to you earlier this week that you had just finished a, a great trip out into, into the heartland of America. When you get out there into the real world and you get away from Washington, D.C. And, and New York and, and, and some of the, these big cities on the coast, what do real Americans tell you about the state of the country? Well, I think they're concerned because of the inflation, uh, high gas prices, high food prices, the government spending all this money and creating debt that they and their kids and grandkids will have to pay off uh, over time. Uh, I think they just want to live and not have the government in their life. Uh, growing up, it was very rare that the government was ever involved in, in my life or my parents. And I think it was that way with most people. Everyone lived. We had very little government at all. And now it, the government is in everything. And, and it's almost the national government is in everything. And I don't think most people want that. They want the freedom. They want to be able to go out and know the rules are set and the game won't change. And so they can adapt and play by the rules. And the government's coming in and changing the rules repeatedly under our feet, and it makes it more difficult to plan personally or business-wise on how you live if the rules are always being changed. At what point in this country do you think, Richard, um, as somebody who's studied this for a long time, and, and uh, you know, you're, you appear on TV and radio and in newspapers constantly giving uh, analysis on this, did it, uh, the shift come from um, people in government whether it be local, regional, or, or state or national, who had disagreements on the way to get things done to where now the other side is the enemy, the other side is evil, and they, they're the enemy of the people and whatever they say is wrong. Can you pinpoint a sort of a time when that all changed? And, and is there something we can do about it where we can't all be, to the title of your book again, Americans? Well, absolutely. And what I remember the first time was back in the late 80s, being involved in different committees and leadership roles. And it used to be that you'd have an issue if you were involved in a government agency or a nonprofit or a business or whatever, people would debate it. There'd be a vote. It'd be a split. Whoever won would implement the decision and whoever lost would accept the decision as the majority rule and go forward. And there started to be a push for consensus. And to me, consensus is not leadership. And the first evidence of that was trying to get people, well, why don't we make this a unanimous vote? And so there started being pressure about it. And then that pressure increased 
And I believe now that pressure's increased to the point to where everything has to be a unanimous vote and you have that animosity toward each team. And the other thing that's happening right now are the people that are losing votes instead of accepting the vote as the majority will of the organization and moving forward, there's all kinds of activities to protest or try to overturn the votes and not accept it. And that is what will tear an organization or a country apart if we cannot have those kind of debates, accept majority rule and move forward. And in this volume, it's not totally political because we talk about lifelong learning and leadership and legacies and things like that. And what's interesting, I didn't realize it till afterwards, but I did a word search and the big word, big D word Democrat and the big R word Republican are not in the book in one place because I believe the principles that make us successful are bipartisan and they should be bipartisan like they were for many, many years. Our guest Richard Battle has a brand new book available. It's a, it's a positive book. And if, uh, if you have just a whiff of patriotism, or maybe you need a little bit more, maybe you need to demonstrate that to your kids, or your grandkids, you should pick it up. It's called Made in America by Americans, not Americans. And you can find Richard online at richardbattle.com, the book at headlinebooks.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold. Do you find, um, Richard, with, with Americans, the concept of American exceptionalism as a, a real thing. You're a world traveler. You've been everywhere around the world. Or is that is that beating our chest a little bit too much? Well, and as you know, I'm from Texas and we have our own beating our chest because we want a war of independence and have that pride in our state, just sure. like in the country. But I think we've we are an exceptional country and we have a right to proclaim that, but there are people that are giving that up voluntarily now. And this book is not just about patriotism. It's motivational. It's inspirational. It's about learning some of the things that will help people in their personal lives, their family lives. There's leadership lessons. There's inspiration about creating legacies. And whether someone is 10 years old or 90 years old, I think there are things that are in this volume that can help motivate or inspire them to create additional successes in their life. You, um, you've been through some pretty tough stuff in your own life. I, I know uh, you were in a horrible apartment fire a long time ago where your, your neighbor perished in the fire. Um, you lost everything in the big Texas real estate collapse back in the eighties, <laughs> built yourself back up. Perhaps the, the toughest one is a, a father, um, the loss of, of your only son as an infant. How do you get past those things? You talk about some inspiration that you can take from this book and some leadership skills. How do you, Richard Battle, get through the tough stuff in life? Well, uh, that's a great question. And I've had some tremendous successes beyond my wildest imaginations. I mean, the number of these books is one of them. Uh, but I have gone through some adversity. I don't claim to have gone through worse than other people because each one of the tough things I've been through, I can find many people who've been through tougher than I have. 
Uh, and we all will go through adversity in life. And the question is, how do we respond to that? And what I learned, especially through losing my son, because the typical question people ask is, why me? And I believe that question looks in the past and it traps us in the past if that's our question, because it makes us think, what did I do to deserve this? Well, sure. Well, we don't have to do anything to deserve adversity. We all run into it periodically. And so what I figured out was the right question for me, and I believe for others, is what now? What am I supposed to learn from this that can help me and help me help others going forward because of this experience? And so in this volume and other volumes I've done, I share lessons like that and try to help people look at the what now versus why me uh, and share examples of other people, some who've gone through much worse than I have as well, because I think when we see people who've gone through adversity and overcome it to whatever level, it's inspirational for us in whatever adversity we're in. Well, I tell you, I can't imagine losing an infant son. You say other people have gone through worse. That seems to be about as bad as it can get. Well, I, I went to a guard drill a month or so after I lost my son, and I was talking to one of my colleagues there and told him of my loss. He goes, he goes, yeah, I lost three children in one night in a house fire. Oh. And I mean, it just hit me in the gut because that was much worse than my loss, even though my loss was very painful. But it, it just goes to show we can always find somebody else that's worse off. And that's part of the thing, the lesson I learned, things can always be worse. Well, I was going to ask you, what, what did you take away from that experience? Not to dwell on it too much, but uh, you obviously, you have to live, you got to move forward, you know, one foot in front of the other. What lessons did you learn from your little boy from that experience? Well, and, and these have been involved with everything I've done since then, including Made in America by Americans instead of Americans, because we go through different adversities. How do we respond to that? Who can we look up to for examples? And if we look to the media and to popular culture, they want to trap us and, and turn us into victims. And I don't believe we should be victims regardless of whatever adversity we go through. It's up to us how we respond. And what can we learn from that individual situation and from adversity itself that can help us going forward? And I look back and the lessons I've learned and those things you talked about and even some other things have helped me more than the successes, but I didn't like any of the experiences and I hope I never experience them again. But I learned because I looked for those opportunities to, to learn and grow from it and then to share that with others to try to be of help. The new book from Richard is called Made in America by Americans, not Americans, from our friends at Headline Books. One other thing that, that you went through and uh, that I think a lot of folks uh, can empathize, sympathize with, because they've either gone through something similar or they have a family member, you've had a couple of cancer scares. Um, what does that do when you, you get that news from the doctor and how do you deal with it? Well, I've, I've only had cancer once, but, uh, uh, one of the books I wrote, it had a 10 month period. I went through a divorce, two heart procedures and a cancer diagnosis. 
And thankfully, uh, the prognosis and everything from that was all good. And I'm in great health right now. I'm very grateful. But I learned by being around people during those treatments how we responded to that. And I even found going through 45 radiation treatments, found humor in that. And I found that we were able to laugh about some of the things because we joke around about getting burned or in the breaking the machine, things going through the treatments. And uh, so we could laugh about it. And doing that helped going through the process because if you just focus on what the worst that can happen is, uh, you can drive yourself crazy. And I think laughter, humor, and positive attitude helps us respond better to any of those kind of challenges. Richard Battle is our guest today. So cancer and a divorce in 10 months. And two heart procedures. Which one hurt the most? <laughs> well, the side effects from the cancer treatment was much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. You probably still have to, uh, you know, stay in touch with the ex-wife. Well played. Um, you, you mentioned earlier you're a Texan, a lifelong Texan. Texas has this this uh, mythos about it. For those of us in in the other forty nine states of rugged independence, how much of of being a lifelong Texan do you think informed you when you wrote this book about Americans and not Americans? Well, I think a lot of it because I, it's in in my character to have a positive attitude and outlook regardless. And it's in my upbringing and character to try to do as much as I can to influence the outcome. Although I, I learned when I lost my son, I'm not in control right. of the outcomes, but I am in control of some of the activities. And that's a very important thing. And there are many chapters in this volume that were totally inspired that came to me. I mean, some in the middle of the night that woke me up and said, write this down now before you forget about it. Uh, And there are examples of that. One I want to share especially is I was awakened one night thinking about old McDonald who had the farm. And I thought his, the secrets, his five leadership secrets And I looked up and that song is over 300 years old (coughs) and no one's ever discovered this before. And yet I was given the inspiration to share the five leadership secrets with old McDonald out of a dead sleep one night. And to me, it was the most humbling thing in the world because no one had ever discovered it. And the only clue I'll give is, do you know what the E-I-E-I-O stands for? And that's the secret. And now it's going to be stuck in my head. Thanks a lot, Richard. (laughs) The song will not go away. It's an earworm. (laughs) Made in America by Americans, not Americans. The brand new book. Hey, I want to ask you about something that is sometimes it's a taboo subject, but I'm going to throw it out there. You are a man of faith. Where does that fit in to your new book? Well, I think it's essential. This is not overtly Christian but the principles are Judeo-Christian, which is important. And I, some of the books I've written are overtly Christian with a lot of scriptural references and things in there. This book just has a few, but the background and the faith is imbued in the words because of what's in my heart. 
And it's based on those particular type values that I think are so essential. And we talk about the pandemic, and I don't think we could have gone through the pandemic without a faith in something bigger in ourselves and something in control of the world and of life, because that gives me hope for the future. And without that kind of faith, I don't know how you could have a hope beyond this lifetime. And to me, that drives a lot of my activities is trying to help people have hope and have a positive attitude, uh, have a, a positive attitude about things bigger than themselves in this lifetime. I know you were the host of the, uh, the state prayer breakfast there with Governor Abbott a couple of months ago. You have no problem with, with sharing the fact that, that you're a Christian and that you are a man of faith. Uh, for you personally, how big a component was faith in overcoming the heart procedures and the cancer and the loss of your son, the divorce and all those things that you've gone through. Well, and, and the, the two books written about those experiences are overtly Christian books with a lot of scriptural references, because that's part of what I leaned on to help get through that. And it helped me quite a bit. And the people who've read those volumes and communicated with me have said the same thing, that the things I shared from those experiences were helpful in their adversity. As a guy who's a uh, something of a, a history buff, as you said, and and you've written about some of these great figures in history in the new book, um, you know, faith informed the framing of our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And there are some who would say, "Yeah, that was 250 years ago, and the world is changing." And so, Richard Battle, what say you? Well, that's a great question, because one of the chapters in Made in America by Americans, not Americans, ask about has human nature evolved? And if so, what that means, because I think part of our political issue right now is one side wants to proffer that human nation, human nature has evolved and it's getting better. And because it's getting better, all of the old documents and things from a couple of hundred years ago don't mean anything now. Well, I would advocate that human nature is the same today as it was at the creation and beyond. And if human nature is the same today as it was from the beginning, then that reaffirms all of the biblical documents, the Declaration, Constitution, all of the wisdom of the ages based on human nature is confirmed if human nature is the same. And the one example I love to laugh about is whether you believe in the Bible or not from a faith standpoint, or just look at it from literature, if you look at the Adam and Eve story, when they were caught, uh, what was the first thing they did? They both pointed the finger, Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. And so what do little kids do when you catch them doing something they're not supposed to? The first thing they do is they put the finger out and say, it's not my fault, he made me do it. It's the exact same human behavior that happened thousands of years ago. And so to me, that's the proof that human nature does not evolve. And that makes all of these documents and everything that we love about our country confirmed in my mind. And where do you, where do you draw the line, though, to separate out church and state? Well, I believe that our country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles and if we look back, the specifics of it was when it said no church uh, government approved, it was not based on Christianity or Judeo 
rules. It was based on, we don't want to be a Baptist country. We don't want to be a Methodist type country. So all of the founders had a faith that they relied on in framing our constitution and documents. And they talked about the essentialness of having a moral execution of laws to contain and, and re retain the country's morality. And that's part of the things we're seeing now as we see people push against that and let every individual define their own morality and truth, then we have no foundation to, to rely on. And I believe our founding documents are the foundation that we can rely on to have a good country. The book Made in America by Americans, not Americans, is brand new from Richard Battle from Headline Books. Take a look at that, uh, that book cover with the uh, American Eagle and the flag. You can't help but be uh, patriotic, but maybe a little old-fashioned. What would you say about that if somebody said, ah, this is, a, you know, it's an old-fashioned way of looking at things. It's a little antiquated, Richard. Well, and, and one of the things that I, I just do in my books, the last three or four books, is I have actually a couple of pages in there that explain my feelings about the cover design, because I think it speaks, and I'm so grateful to Headline Books for what they did with it, because it speaks what I wanted to convey on the cover. Uh, I don't think it's old-fashioned if human nature is the same, and to me, I believe that's there. I don't believe the pop culture that we have currently, the conventional wisdom is healthy for our country. Uh, while we were not perfect before, I believe the principles that we had before and the honor and the morality were healthy for the country. And I think there's a way that we can implement that to restore some of those principles and health of the country without the onerous uh, heavy foot, if you will, of one brand of faith over the other to give us a good moral working country and get away from what we're going to now, which is basically everybody defines their own rules. As a kid, I, you know, I grew up in the Boy Scouts and uh, I've always been a big believer in in public service. You know, my mom for 30 years was the city police clerk in my hometown and my dad was a Navy vet. Um, I wonder what your take is on, on public service and, and volunteerism and how important a component that is for Americans. Well, I think it's very important. And if I lean, get my right hand here, the first book I wrote was a volunteer handbook, how to organize and manage a successful organization. So I believe in servant leadership. I believe in service to humanity. Uh, I've lived that. I've spoke about it. I've written about it. I try to share that motivation for people because there's no greater feeling than to have someone tell you that something you've done has helped them. And I've had it happen, and you probably have too, where somebody comes up to you and says, you said something 20 years ago. And it really helped me. And I can't even remember <laughs> what I said or talking to them at all, but something touched them. And that's what drives a lot of my efforts is trying to do things that if just one thing a person picks up on that helps them, it's worth it. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a man's mind once 
changed by a new idea cannot return to its previous state. So all anyone has to do out of any book is get one life-changing idea, and there's no telling how that can transform their lives. There are a bunch of them in your new book, and uh, and and you're right. I know that you've also done a ton of volunteering. You're not going to talk about it. I'll talk about it for you. Richard Battle uh, was the president of the Austin Junior Chamber of Commerce, uh, and during that time recognized that chapter as the most outstanding one in the entire country. He also served on the board of directors for the John Ben Shepherd Public Leadership Foundation, the Boy Scouts of America, Muscular Dystrophy Association, Keep Austin Beautiful, and so much more. Those service organizations, um, some would argue maybe in, in some parts of the country, are not what they once were in terms of uh, participation and, and sheer numbers. How do we get that back, or does volunteerism take a different look in today's America? Well, it's, it's unfortunate. You're correct. The, the Junior Chamber of Commerce changed my life and so many of the other people that I was in it with. And unfortunately, that organization is nowhere near as strong as it used to be. And it's the same with a lot of other ones. And the younger people seem to think if they can meet at a bar and network or if they can just write a check or the popular thing to do now is somebody will call an action for a Saturday to go do something and people will show up and help and then they're gone. But when you're involved with an organization and that organization's committed and you go through trials and tribulations with the other members, uh, it builds a bond and a trust with those people because you see how they react to adversity in that organization. And I tell people, there are friends I have I would trust my daughter's life to that I've been through experiences with in those type organizations. But yet if I just wrote a check to something or showed up on a Saturday and did something to help, I would never form that deep of a bond with those people. Our guest Richard Battle is the author of nine books. The brand new one is called Made in America by Americans, not Americans. It's available at headlinebooks.com, amazon.com wherever books are sold. I wonder when you sat down to write this book and you, you did your research, and I know you're, you're a, a historical uh, uh, scholar, if you will, you're a fan of that. What'd you learn though? Were there anything that, as you started to do the research for these great Americans and their can-do spirit that really surprised you and said, wow, I never knew that? Well, a, a lot of specific things, but from a general standpoint, it reinforced my faith in the country because our parents and grandparents went through much tougher things than we've gone through. Right. And I had a lady a couple of years ago, she was, oh, COVID's so terrible. Can you imagine anything worse than this? And I told her, I, I've been through much worse than COVID. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. COVID comparatively to me was not as bad as the other things, but our parents and grandparents went through the flu in 1918, depression, two world wars, the threat of nuclear attacks, so many other things. I mean, we look at the, the pioneers that went through wagon trains west, and when they left St. Joe, Missouri, it was only them. They had to provide everything. There was no one there that they could look to to rescue them. And so people have gone through much tougher than we things than we have, and we can do the same thing if we have to. It's just that we've gotten soft and we don't want to have to, and I hope we don't have to. 
you know, it's funny you say that you talk about uh, we've we've gotten soft and we've all experienced uh, the great resignation in the last year and a half after COVID where so many people just never went back to work. And in many cases, Richard, those are jobs that frankly, Americans just don't want to do. We've gotten a little soft, a little squishy, but you say we are still Americans at heart. How do we get rid of that soft and squishy? <laughs> well, I hope it's not necessity. Necessity forced it in earlier generations. But one of the books I wrote was about the lifelong lessons I learned from my first job as an 11-year-old paper boy. And I was at a Carnegie course, and the homework was, what's the one thing you learned from that job? When I went home that night, I couldn't think of one thing. I thought of 14 that were influencing me as a professional career person from being a paper boy. And today I think young people think they're too good to do these jobs. And I've done much worse jobs than being a paper boy, but those are the type jobs that help build character and teach us things. If we'll look for them that can affect us for a lifetime. And so we should encourage our children to go work and encourage them to do things that may not be pleasant because there are lessons there. And when I see someone go all the way through college without ever having a job, I feel like they've been given a disservice in their life because they missed that opportunity. For those of you listening, a paper boy is someone who used to deliver (laughs) newspapers when you didn't read them on your phone. I had to inject that for you. Listen, I I tease you about uh, these things, but you know, they're really not antiquated concepts. These are really timeless principles. If you get right down to it. Absolutely are. When I was a paper boy, I had to go every week to collect. And they didn't mail the money in like they do today or do it with a credit Got to knock card on the door, right? I had, I had to, to stand on the doorstep as an 11 year old and ask adults to give me money. Yep. And then I had to sell subscriptions And yes, that scared me a little bit as a young kid, but it gave me strength and confidence in later activities that I never would have had without doing that. And we have to force kids to go through uncomfortable situations because they'll learn from it. If we excuse them when they're uncomfortable from doing something, that's a disservice to them going later. We need to make them stronger because I believe strong Americans make America stronger. Strong government makes Americans weaker. You're in Texas, and I know we've had this conversation before uh, about uh, the immigration crisis there. And uh, the last numbers I saw in 2022, there will be uh, north of 2 million, 2 million people not just coming across the board. Those are the ones they catch and arrest uh, and send back. Who knows how many folks are, are coming across Um, And yet, when you get into major metropolitan areas, like here in Washington, D.C., many of those jobs that the soft, squishy Americans don't want to do fall to to immigrants. It's a tough problem, and I'd love to get uh, your vantage point as a a Texan, a lifelong Texan, as to, you know, how you navigate that very complex situation. Well, and there's so many different facets of it, but just from a job standpoint, Uh, the people coming across like that, when they're hired, they're taking jobs from Americans. They're depressing wages uh, for Americans by doing that as well. 
and creating all kinds of other issues such as national security, health security, and economic security because most of those people can't take care of them themselves. And so it's sad to me when I see an organization like the United States Chamber of Commerce be pro-illegal immigration because they want cheap labor. And to me, that's a disservice. And yes, people may be sitting at home now and too good for some of these jobs that are out there, but there'll be a day with a tougher economy. And those people will look up and say, well, I can't even get the work now because these other people have come in and taken it away. And that's that will come when we have a tough economy one day. And do you still believe the reason that there is such an attraction to come to this country is because people from around the world still see us as that that shining beacon on the hill? Well, I think that's part of it. But I think when they hit this border, they've hit the lottery because wherever they get transported and the U.S. government's transporting them and the other ways they're being transported, as I say, 98% of them can't take care of themselves. So they're getting local taxpayers to pay for food, housing, clothes, education, medical benefits. They're getting all of these things for nothing. And, and yes, there's less threat from other people on their lives. So they hit the lottery when they get here. And so they're willing to gamble their lives to hit that lottery. Some people listening right now, Richard, may say, gosh, here's a guy who 10 minutes ago was talking about his faith and his Christian values. And that sure doesn't seem to square up with taking care of folks who are needy and are just trying to make a better life for themselves and their kids. How would you answer that? Well, I think that's a good question. We in the United States cannot take everyone in the world here. We cannot support everyone in the world here. They did a survey in South America in early 2022 about how many people in South America would like to come to the United States. The number was 92 million. Mm. So imagine those 92 million people showed up on our southern border, wanted in, wanted all the welfare, and wanted to take the jobs from Americans. Our economy cannot sustain that. So it's just like us personally. I would like to support every charitable organization in the world. But if I do that, then I cannot provide for myself. So there is a balance that we have to find. I'm going to leave you with the last word on this book. If, if someone is, is interested in the conversation, but they can't quite wrap their head around what Made in America by Americans not Americans is all about. How do you describe that book? Well, there's 46 individual essays and they're broken into three categories, learning, learning and leading, learning, leading and legacy. They can be read in any sequence. There's over a hundred motivational quotes. There's over a hundred of the battles bullets of my quotes. Uh, there's a generic new year's resolution template that people can use as well. And what we're trying to do there, again, is have people be able to look at any one of the essays, which they can read in four or five minutes, and gain something out of it they can apply to their personal family, business life, whatever they do, public or nonprofit as well. And I think there are so many specific things that I think whether you're 10 or 90, there's something in there you can find to help. You've probably heard him on the radio. He appears nationally on, on radio stations all over the country. Uh, you may have read him in your local newspaper, seen him on TV. Now you can pick up his new book, Made in America by Americans, not Americans. You won't be able to miss that cover 
with the American Eagle carrying the United States flag. And uh, Richard Battle, appreciate your time today. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. And I always end the interviews with God bless America. Here, here. Richard Battle, our guest today. Visit him online at richardbattle.com. Pick up the new book there or from his brand new publisher, Headline Books, also available at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, wherever books are sold. Richard Battle's Made in America by Americans, not Americans. Thank you to Zoom into Books, Kathy Belinda, the whole gang there at Headline Books, also speakermatch.com. From our studios here in Washington, D.C., I'm Burke Allen. Thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.